Wiedersehen. Morning, everyone. Man, I don't know. We're ending Romans, and a part of me is sad. Like, I have just really, as Chris and I have studied together, as we have prepped sermons, as we have done all of this, like, it has just been so good. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface that with, I think, way back in the beginning when we started this Roman series, I said, we may finish a sermon series in Romans, but that doesn't mean that the sermon series in Romans is finished with you. Like, the book of Romans is one of those books that you can finish reading it through. You can sit and read it through in, in one day, but it's going to come back, and it's going to get you. It's going to be into you uh, as the Spirit uses it. And so I'm hoping and praying that as we come back and we do more Pauline letters that we come back to this and, and it continues to work in your lives. And we know that the Word of God does not fall void anywhere and it will do just that. So we are going to be in Romans chapter 16. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up. If not, it'll be on the screen for you to see. Um, let's go ahead and read the Word of the Lord. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house, Greet my beloved Epaphroditus, who was the first convert to the Christ in Asia. Oh, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andraconis and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryposa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansyncritus, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are all with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, his, and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches in Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet, the, under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. 
Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for so long ages, or for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience to faith to those to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much. I thank you for this, this word we have this morning and how impactful um, even seeing just a list of believers can be. Father, I pray that as we, we dive into this and we see some of the, the things that the Spirit is wanting to teach us, that you would, you would put me aside and you let it be your words. The Father, that you would remind us to be, to be united as, as followers of Christ in, in Christian fellowship and in Christian friendship with one another. Father, I pray that as, as we enter into this time of, of worship through the hearing of your word, you would move in our lives, you would convict us, you would challenge us, and you would draw us closer to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's interesting as you're reading through Romans 16, because when you get to Romans 16, it feels a little out of place. It just feels a little odd. You've been reading through thick, thick, rich theology that permeates chapters 1 through 15, right? And, 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 and Paul has feverishly taught some of these deep and difficult truths of, of theology and doctrine. And then we, we come to chapter 16, and we get a list of names of his friends and co-workers, and it, and it it almost feels like it's insignificant compared to the rest of the book of Romans. But, but don't. Do not think that it's insignificant. Romans 16 is just as inspired by the Holy Spirit as the rest of the book of Romans. There's nothing in here. If we truly believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, then even this list of friends and co-workers of Paul's is inspired by God. Don't, don't take it as something that it's not, that it is there. there and and there, there's something that's interesting here is, is that there's also theology here. There is doctrine here, and we don't want to miss any of that. See, Romans 16 emphasizes the importance of solid, good Christian friendships. And, and we see how the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is the center of true Christian friendships. And we also see how followers of Christ can experience deep and rich Christian friendships. And, and I was thinking about this as I'm, I'm prepping things up, and, and there's always a little bit of music or something playing in the background in our house, um, or they're in my classroom at school or, or wherever I'm at, and, and Simon and Garfunkel will roll around occasionally on the playlist. Um, I, I cannot remember a time in my life that Simon and Garfunkel has not been the soundtrack. Like, that's just how it has been in, in the household. Dad introduced it to me probably in the womb on the, on the 33 RPM um, Greatest Hits album. And so I remember that, and I love their music, and, and, and they enjoy their lyrics. But then when I got to this, I was thinking, wait a second. They got one song deeply wrong. You are not a rock. You are not an island. And you will feel pain when you are isolated. 
right? All of that pain should probably lead us to weep and to cry, right? That, that we, are, we are designed to have this, to have this friendship, right? We, 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 we feel loneliness, and, and we want friendship badly, and we desire it. And it's all because it's part of God's great design for us. If you, if you read through the Genesis creation story, and we read through that account, there is only one time that God says something is not good. And that time was when Adam was alone in Genesis 2.18. Everything else was good, except Adam being alone. So, so the theology of friendship and community is, is vital to Christian life. God has, has designed you to be in friendship with other believers. Being made in the image of God means that you long for friendships. You long for relationship. You long for community. Proverbs 18.1 Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks against all sound judgment. When I, when I think of that, that verse, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks against all sound judgment. Right? This, this should remind us that as a follower of a Christ, to, to purposefully keep from fellowship with others is not just unwise. It goes against God's design and therefore is sinful. And we need to not do that. As, as we look here in Romans 16, 1 through 16 specifically, this first little chunk, we see that Paul here is, is through the Holy Spirit, emphasizing the importance of Christian friendships. He's sending greetings to and from so many people and from so many back, backgrounds and, and from so many various places that have gathered there in Rome. And, and the language that he uses is wonderful here. The individuals that he mentioned here are, are sister, servant, church, saints, patron, fellow workers, kinsmen, fellow prisoners, my beloved, approved in Christ, family, workers, mothers, brothers. And, and there's just many more terms to describe these individuals. These people that Paul mentions, they loved the Lord, still do now in heaven rather than here on earth. They love the Lord. They are respected by Paul. And they are in deep relationship with the body of Christ. And, and it's interesting because as we read this, we see that most of the names are Greek. There are some Jewish names in here. And a handful of these names seem to be Latin. It, it indicates that there's this diversity of the ethnicity within the, the Roman church. But there are these terms of endearment that Paul uses to describe them. As he's saying that sister, servant, kinsman, fellow prisoners, these, these terms of endearment indicate that, that there's also this unity of spirit, unity of purpose in what they do. It's interesting too, not only is there like a diversity of ethnicity within the Roman church, there's, there's a diversity of class within the Roman church. There are slave names here as well as names of wealthy patrons, right? There's common laborers and there's prominent households. And yet there's love 
across ethnic barriers and love across socioeconomic differences. And Romans 16 is unique. And it's unique in the number of ladies mentioned. Paul, across his ministry, saw the importance of discipling women in the gospel. That, that's, that's, if you read any of the Pauline letters, you read Acts, you see that, that there is importance in discipling women for the gospel's sake. But here he mentions more ladies in Scripture, in, in his greetings to them, than any other place in any of his other writings. He specifically mentions Phoebe, Prisca, Mary, Junia, Tryphania, Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus's mom, Julia, and Nereus's sister. Right? There, there's, there's 28 people that Paul mentions here to greet. Ten of them are women. And this kind of goes back to, to Romans chapter 8 a little bit, right? That we were reminded that all believers, male, female, Jews, Gentile, all of us are heirs to the inheritance of Christ Jesus, right? And we have, a, we have a significant role to play, all of us, male, female, Jew, Gentile. We all have a, a significant role to play for the kingdom of God. And it further reflects what Paul teaches us then in, in Galatians 3.28, right? Where he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, there's never, neither male nor female, but you are one in Jesus Christ. And Paul continues to emphasize Christian friendship by, by mentioning specific churches and families to whom he's close. The house of Prisca and Aquila, the house of uh, Aristobulus, the house of Narcissus, uh, a syncretist and his brothers and sisters, Philogius and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. These, these are house churches meeting throughout Rome and, and the greater Roman metroplex, I guess you would say. Right? And they're all partnering together for the gospel and the work of Christ. See, see these Christian friendships have a shared mission. They give you and I a shared mission. And when those friendships are as diverse as Paul's seem to be, we, we look and we see these very diverse friendships that Paul's has, then what they do is they, they genuinely glorify God. And they show a unity that comes only through Jesus Christ. These people that, that Paul mentions, they're hardworking people. They're long-suffering people. They are laborers for the cause of of Christ. They have aided him in his ministry. They have been imprisoned with him for the sake of the ministry. They have been financial supporters in his ministry, and they are faithful servants to God most high. All for the sake and all for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's friendship. That is a, that is a deep understanding of a, of a theological concept of, of communion and, and community within the church. And it's beautiful because it's all done in Christ. And then we get to verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. Now, verse 16 seems a little weird here in the United States. Like, let's just be honest, that that's not how we typically greet one another, 
right? Our, our typical greeting is not one of a kiss to our closest friends. I love Chris Hecock. I'm going to use him as an example here. I love him. He's a, he's a dear, dear friend. And, but no time in my life, in my near future, can I see myself running up to Chris, giving him a kiss on the cheek to show him how dear a friend he is. There you go, right? <laughs> There's a good question, brother. There's a good question, right? But we have to understand that within context, this was part of the custom of the early church. It showed a deep reverence and a, and a deep devotion and a deep admiration and a deep affection for each other as they were in Christ. Within our society, we typically hug each other to show this now, right? That's, that's how we greet one another. If it's a deep, deep uh, affection for one another, it's a hug. And, and that's probably as comfortable as many of us ever really get, is that hug, right? But in my life, I will say this, there have been some, some people, specifically some men, whom I have greeted with a kiss. And it was because of the reverence and the devotion, the admiration and the affection that I had for them. And, and Three specifically stand out in my mind. My dad. Right? And not just when I was a little kid. But we'll get into that. My papa Pratt. Dad's dad. Hmm. And the other was Pastor Rethel Miller. Sorry. Wasn't expecting to have that emotion. Oh, I used to kiss my dad on the top of his bald head. And those of you that knew my dad and know me, like we'd stand next to each other and look like twins at some times. And, and I would kiss dad on the top of his bald head every time I'd tell him goodbye. And it became kind of a joke between my dad and I. He'd like, ugh, and he'd pretend to rub it off, right? But I knew he loved it and I could tease him with that and tell him that, that I love you all at once. And I never missed an opportunity to do that. And I know Bruce is probably struggling a little bit with this. A lot of grandsons start to get to an age where they outgrow giving Papa a kiss. Right? I don't know why. I never outgrew that with my Papa. And I'm thankful I never outgrew that. Anytime I was ready to, to leave Papa's house, there was a kiss on the cheek and, and a goodbye. And I, and, I, and I don't miss that. And when I said Pastor Rethel Miller is one of those people. He was just as influential in my life as my pop and as my papa. And I deeply loved him. And he got a kiss on the cheek for the same reason as those other guys did. I loved him bigger than a hug. Get that. When we have true Christian friendships, true love in Christ Jesus, when, when, when we see that, there's going to be a love for somebody in us that is bigger than a hug. And it is okay to express that. See, what we see here is, is in our walk in faith of Jesus Christ, there will be, be people that he puts in our lives whose, whose Christian friendship causes them to, to grow so much bigger than that hug. So much bigger than that, that, it, that it's, it's okay to express that love. Paul's telling us to express that love because he has an urgency in his life because he's not sure how much longer it's going to be. He's got plans, but he knows God's will could take him out at any time. 
Those people that he's writing to here, they need to know that they are loved and they need to know how much they mean to you in Jesus Christ. Do not take those friendships for granted. Paul, Paul had some interesting friendships in life. We think about, about Paul and, and he and Barnabas. What? Yeah, remember he and Barnabas had a falling out over John Mark. And they parted ways. But he reconciled. Not just with Barnabas, but with also with John Mark. And that's important. right? That, that if you have broken friendships, mend them. In the name of Jesus Christ, because our Lord is a God of reconciliation. It shows his love again. Tell your brothers and sisters, tell your deep friends in Jesus Christ you love them. Your love for other Christians shows genuine warmth, genuine enthusiasm, genuine purity, and genuine cheerfulness. I'm going I'm to hop over verses 17 through 20 here for, for just a bit, and we're going to come back to them. But let's look at, at verse 21 through 23 here. Paul uses his letters here to allow his friends that are in Corinth to then also greet the church in Rome. Right? We see listed here Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Tertius, Gaius, Erastus, Cordus. Now, we know that, that Paul and Timothy had had a very unique and a very special relationship, right? That they were, they were seen biblically as father and son. No, Timothy was not Paul's true kid, but Paul adopted him in his heart that way and, and, and felt like he was raising him up in Jesus Christ, providing that for him. It's genuinely one of the most special, closest relationships we see painted in the New Testament. Jason is likely the believer who hosted Paul during his stay in Thessalonica. We, we see Jason mentioned in, in Acts 17, verses 5 through 9. We get to see Tertius, Paul's personal scribe. How fun is that? Get to say his hellos to everybody in the church in Rome. Right? Then Gaius uh, is likely the man that, that Paul baptized during his ministry in Corinth. We see him talked about in, in 1 Corinthians 1.14. And Gaius allows Paul to live in his household during that Corinthian stay. And Erastus is a high-ranking official in the city of Corinth. It's interesting. He was a high enough-ranking official in the city of Corinth that if you go to the ruins of ancient Corinth to this day, there are places where, where Erastus' name is still carved in the stone. Extra fun tidbit. Nerdy guy likes that stuff. Right, And we see this list of names. And, and the list of names that Paul gives us here is, is really quite impressive within Scripture. And it shows us what a privilege you and I have to know brothers and sisters in Christ who share the same Holy Spirit. There are people throughout the history of the church who we can look at as, as heroes. But there are many, many more who are quiet unsung heroes right and we see that it takes many people working together in unity and in purpose right so we have this this unity of purpose we have this unity of spirit right 
And it's for the mission of the church. Paul here is, is showing us he's not an island. He's not a rock. He needs his friends in Christ to complete the task as given, that God has given him, right? So do you. So do I. If I don't have my friends in Christ, I can't do what God has called me to do. He needs those friends and so do we. Paul is not a lone operator for Jesus. Nowhere in Scripture do we see people acting as lone operators for Jesus. He needed people with him. Even if Paul traveled by himself, he had a, a group of people back at a home base praying, giving, supporting, encouraging. He was never truly a lone operator. And think about this. If the Apostle Paul, if the Apostle Paul needed Christian friendship and he needed Christian relationships, how much more do you and I need Christian friendships and Christian relationships? See, you and I are known by our chief shepherd. We are known by Jesus Christ. He knows our names. He is aware of our service to him. And Jesus cares about our service. And he cares about our service to the church. And he cares about our service with the church. And you can see Christian friendship is super important here in Romans 16. The question then becomes, how do I establish Christian friendships? Right? One of the things that is like just incredibly difficult to do as an adult is to develop lasting, enduring friendships. There's a, there's a funny little meme that floats around every once in a while. You know, they talk about Jesus' miracles all the time, but nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. Right? Some of us have experienced that, 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 that unless there's something in our lives as a grown-up, it's kind of hard to be friends with some people. It's hard to develop during, enduring, lasting friendships. It was, I think back, like, how much easier it would be in elementary school. You just go up and say, will you be my friend? And that other little kid in kindergarten says, sure, because they don't know to say no. And you're friends. And it's great, but I go up to somebody now as a grown-up, would you be my friend? There's awkward. That's not how that works, right? We, we have to do this. Well, let's look at how... We, we develop and where these enduring, lasting Christian friendships come from, right? Look at, look at verse 2, as we're just kind of looking at this. It says, we welcome her in the Lord in verse 2. And then verse 3, he refers to the people as co-workers in Christ Jesus. And then there's the first convert to Christ in verse 5. And, and they were in Christ before me in verse 7. And in my beloved in the Lord in, in verse 8. And then my fellow worker in the Lord in verse 9, and then is approved in Christ in verse 10. Greet those in the Lord in verse 11. The workers in the Lord who has worked hard for the Lord in verse 12. Chosen in the Lord, verse 13. And then all the churches of Christ mentioned in verses 14 and 16. Here's the funny thing. How do you develop a, a lasting, enduring friendship? It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. 
right? Everywhere we see in all of these verses, all throughout this, is it's Jesus is the one thing they have in common. All of these people have one thing and probably only one thing in common, and that is Christ in their lives. They're all from different backgrounds. They're from different ethnicities. Yet Jesus made them all unified as family. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes us new spiritual friendships in our lives. Paul lists here, or everyone that Paul lists here in this list of friends calls Jesus Lord. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, writes, Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You too? I thought there was no one but myself. Right? C.S. Lewis is kind of getting at that there's, there's this idea that natural, organic friendships don't start with that little kindergarten moment. Will you be my friend? No, they start with a common love and a common passion. As Christians, we have the greatest common love and the greatest common passion one can have. You have Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled believers share a common salvation. Spirit-filled believers share a common passion for Jesus and, and his kingdom. And this allows people from many wonderful different backgrounds to share life, mission, and purpose together. Jesus creates spiritual friendships. The gospel not only changes your life, but the gospel gives you a new community. And the gospel establishes our Christian friendships. And then, then you get to experience those Christian friendships through love. You experience that love by, by honoring one another. Paul tells the church to honor Phoebe in a manner worthy of the saints. He honors Prisca and Aquila by, by mentioning their labor and their sacrifice. He honors some because they are older in the faith than he is. And he commends those who worked hard. Here's the thing that I think about this is, is Romans chapter 16 takes what we learned in Romans chapter 12 verse 10 and it puts it into practice. Right? Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul has made a list of honor. He's trying to outdo those who he feels have honored him by acknowledging them. And man, what an honor to be recorded in the word of God for all eternity. That's crazy. That's cool, right? We also experience that love by showing hospitality to one another. Paul uses the word welcome Right? And he mentions these house churches. And he names Gaius specifically who is hosting him. This is, this is Romans 12, 13 being put in practice. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality and seek to show hospitality. Right? And so Paul is seeing that here. You experience that love by showing affection for one another. This this is John 13, 34, and 35 being lived out. Jesus is teaching there, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hmm. People will know that we're Jesus' disciples because we love one another. I want to be known as a disciple of Jesus because of the love I share and give to others. We also experience that love that, that comes in these Christian friendships by serving in ministry together. At least 14 times, Paul mentions the work and the service of those in chapter 16. This, this is not some sort of social club roster, right? This is a community of, of like-hearted, right? Like-hearted people, brothers and sisters, serving the Lord with one another. The community gets stronger and stronger as we, we serve in ministry together. Some of the times that, that we have grown closest as a church are those times that we've sweated it out in a tough ministry together. There are bonds that, I, that, that Leah and I have with people who are literally continents away because we served in ministry with them at that time. And lastly, you experience the love of true Christian friendship by staying focused on the gospel together. And this is where we're going to jump back to 17 through 20. So 17 through 20 says, I appeal to you, brothers... not expecting that <laughs> verses 17 through 20 say i appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to that you have been taught avoid them for such persons do not serve our lord christ but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive for your obedience is known to all so that i rejoice over you but I want you to be wise as, what is, as to what is good and innocent and to what is evil. So here, here Paul is, is, is teaching this idea of staying focused on the gospel. Right? He, the gospel keeps us unified. Paul is warning the church here about people who want to break the unity and to create divisions. There are false teachers who want the unity of believers to be disruptive or to be disrupted. And, and unity happens around the truth of sound doctrine. So, how can I detect these false teachers that Paul warns about? Right? I, I don't have a, a false teacher detector that I can go walking around with. Well, here's what you need to know. Is, is These false teachers, they deviate from the truth of the historic gospel message. They may say things that sound good, like God is love. Right? They may say that, that Jesus welcomes people but see they they deny some central truths about the gospel maybe they don't talk about justification by faith alone or maybe they deny the atonement and the resurrection right and these teachers are smooth talkers they're slick and they're devious and they're to be avoided right staying focused on the gospel also keeps us hopeful Paul reminds us in verse 20 that, that God has already beaten Satan and the evil one will soon be crushed. And until that day, you are to live dependent on the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to see you through to the end. 
Staying focused on the gospel gives us the strength to endure to the very end. Verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. Amen. See, see the gospel is, is rich and powerful. It's the message of good news for all. It saves the unbeliever, but it strengthens the believer. The gospel is all about Jesus. It is his work that changes our lives. The saving power of Jesus Christ is the central message of all Scripture. See, in God's design, we see beauty, we see purpose, and we see the purpose and the beauty of God all around us. But from Scriptures, we know that God designed the world to work perfectly, right? Back in Genesis 1, it was made good. And He made us with a purpose to worship Him and to have intimate fellowship with Him and to have intimate fellowship with one another. He designed us to have deep spiritual friendships with other believers. The problem is that sin entered into the world. Sin is, is, is when you and I ignore and we rebel against God, that, that we selfishly insist on doing things our own way rather than God's way. And this distorts God's design. The consequences of sin are separation. Separation from God here and separation from God into eternity. And sin leads then to a place of brokenness in our lives. And we, we pray that the brokenness leads us to a place where we realize we have to have something greater. We have to have a remedy, a fix. Here's the beautiful thing, is that God, in His design, provided for us the remedy. Yes, He's got the consequences, but in His love for us, He has the remedy. The remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8, God shows us his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Jesus, who is God in human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus did for you and me what we cannot do for ourselves. He took our sin, he took our shame to the cross, pays the penalty for our sin through his death. And he does that willingly to serve the Father. Jesus then was resurrected three days later, showing that, that he's got power over death. And it provides a way for us to be rescued and restored to a right relationship with God. But simply hearing this good news isn't enough. We've got to admit our sinful nature. We have to admit that we do not have the power to escape our brokenness without being rescued. Jesus Christ is the rescuer, and only Jesus Christ is the rescuer. And we must ask him to forgive us and for him to turn us from that sin in our lives. And the beautiful thing is, is when we do that, he does it. And he rejoices in that. See, when we, we trust in Jesus, we surrender our lives to him, 
and we surrender our lives to his will. This is what we call repentance and belief, right? When we believe, Jesus brings us the new life, and he, and he gives us a new direction. And he builds a new community for us, and he brings us these everlasting friendships that Paul's describing here in Romans 16. And as we grow in Christ, meaning we get, we get closer and closer to him, we, we know him more. We call this the process of, of regeneration and sanctification, that, that God restores our relationship to him. It, he also restores other relationships in our lives. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to to pursue the things of God that we otherwise weren't pursuing. And God gives us an assurance of his presence in our lives for now and for all eternity. If you want deep spiritual friendships, they have to come from Christ. He is the source of those friendships. Now, if if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, Thank God today that he has given you the gospel and deep friendships and a new community to which you can live in, a new community in which you can serve, a new community in which you can grow, and a new community that will last and endure for all eternity. Thank him for that. Then, because there's always a then, then take that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are outside of that community of Christ. They need to hear this. Share with them the love of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is tugging at you today, and you feel convicted, don't don't run from that. Don't hide from that. If you want to know about how to be a follower of Jesus Christ, contact us. Let us know. Drop us a comment if you're watching on Facebook right now. Shoot us a message. Send us an email at, at, at office at calvaryheights.org. We want to talk to you about Christ and how you can know him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for, for deep spiritual friendships that only you give and only give through the gospel of Jesus Christ being active in my life. I thank you for co-laborers and co-workers in ministry. I thank you for friendships that endure and are lasting. And Father God, I thank you for the gospel message and salvation that comes only through Jesus. Father, as we are gathered here today, I pray that that those who have heard this message of the gospel for maybe the first time are are mulling it over and that you're working hard in their hearts. I pray that that those who who need Jesus and and need and long for deep fellowship and deep relationships come to Christ and receive those. But not just those, but they receive the grace that brings them out of their sin. The grace that shows them love and regenerates their lives. Father God, let us, the body of believers gathered here at Calvary Heights Baptist Church of Martinsville, Indiana, let us be an instrument and a tool to carry that message out, to share the love of Christ. Let us love one another as you have loved us so that they will know we are your disciples. And it is in Jesus' name.